Cricket all around the world this week on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. T20 World Cup prep, Women's Asia Cup, Men's Under-19 World Cup qualifying in Asia and Africa, South American Championships, and East Asia Pacific Sub-Regional B, with thanks to our Emerging Cricket patrons. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an EC patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. A note that we recorded this week before Thailand's victory over Pakistan, which we'll wrap on next week's show. Warm welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Beswick alongside Nick Skinner for this week's show. Tim is very busy dealing with all things Pacific Cup at the moment in Vanuatu. We'll get him to talk about all of that next week when the competition is over. It looks like a bunch of fun there and Tim is soaking up all of that action as well as being hard at work. But I do have Nick with me. And just talking to you before we jumped on, Nick, what we thought would be maybe a little bit more of a quiet week compared to last week. In the end, looking at the uh, show notes, we've actually got our work cut out for us to get all of it into 50 minutes, not only with Women's Asia Cup, we've got action in Africa, East Asia Pacific coming up, not only the Pacific Cup, but action in Japan happening soon, Uh, South America, and uh, the team's out here ready to go for the T20 World Cup as well, so... Quite a lot going on, Nick. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, no, there's there's always something going on if you know where to look. And that's uh, one of the great joys of associate cricket is that the world of cricket is so much bigger than, than so many people probably think. And, and this is this is why it's uh, I'm always very happy to be uh, getting into it every week and, and sharing that. Yeah, again, just looking through our notes. Yeah, women's action on the senior side with the Women's Asia Cup. And as we mentioned, the T20 World Cup is around the corner. And luckily enough, it's it's uh, here in Australia and looking forward to see a lot of these teams live in the flesh and up close. Hopefully, I know that the first rounds are in Hobart and Geelong. So whoever ends up getting through those uh, will see most of those teams actually in matches in Sydney here. So looking forward to that. And I suppose to kick off the show, we'll, we'll talk about some of the preparation that those teams are putting in. Islander in Sydney, they've based themselves here. They've played Randwick-Petersham, beat them, uh, was rained out against a SCG 11 and will take on a New South Wales 11. Weather permitting, the rain has been pretty persistent in Sydney and hopefully it's not a precursor of what we could see throughout the tournament. Uh, going through the teams, I suppose we'll start with Namibia. They've based themselves in Wangaratta, of all places, in regional Victoria. Uh, to put this as nicely as I can, Nick, you can't be distracted by a whole lot in Wangaratta. There's not a terrible lot to do, with all due respect, that part of the world. But seems like they're enjoying it. I saw uh, an Instagram story of JJ Smith completing a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, <laughs> they seem to be in good spirits. And I suppose it's one of the... Uh, Real associate fairy tale stories of last year. They'll certainly be looking to emulate that in the first round this year, and they take on the same opponent first up in Sri Lanka. Yeah, um, I guess doing jigsaw puzzles is one of the few activities that there is to do in Wangaratta, um, especially with their their practice match against the Melbourne Stars eleven rained out. Um, yeah, I mean, were all the hotels in Melbourne full or something? Very strange. I don't know, but um, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't believe when I saw they were out in Wangaratta. Instead of putting them in, you know, where they're going to play the matches in Geelong, they put them 300 kilometres up the Hume Highway in a in a country town. So I don't know, but yeah, it looks like they're having fun. Um, 
uh, Bernard Schultz had a had a birthday, and they all uh, had a had a big old get together. And uh, Picky Yarfrance was the burger chef. Uh, moving on from being the umpire in in those uh, cult videos, but <laughs> unfortunately. There were no lovely guns, oh, so yeah, that that's uh... <laughs> for anyone who missed that. Go back and find the castle light ads the Namibia players did during, I suppose it was peak COVID when they were basically doing these adverts, and it was sort of a three mini episode series of what was some golden television. I implore anyone to try and find them. I've got them bookmarked on Twitter if anyone wants them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. End of order of airing as well. I made sure I went actually went backwards and bookmarked them in such a way I can see them from start to finish. <laughs> You're a true fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, not great preparation for these guys with Ireland and Namibia both missing practice games due to due to the weather. Um, hopefully they're not too rusty before they you know run into Sri Lanka, who have been in a bit of a resurgence in in, in limited overs cricket yeah. over the last year or so. They've they've been very good. So Namibia with their work cut out for them. I guess the fact that they played them. Yeah, in the opener tournament opener last year, they do at least kind of know what to expect. And I mean, you know, Namibia have played a lot of cricket since then as well. So in theory, they they should be better prepared. But yeah, going to be pretty tough. Um, poor old Scotland. I'm not sure where they're at. They were supposed to be playing against uh, Namibia as well, but uh, yeah, the the weather seems to be uh, putting a bit of a dampener on things. Um, you've hunted out a little a uh, little. Cooper connection. The the Dutch are preparing in Adelaide, but they played against uh, the retired Ben Cooper. Who um, I don't th- is this the first cricket he's played for? I don't know. I don't know for sure. He will get in touch if we're wrong. I know that he has spent quite a lot of time away from the game, even after retiring from international cricket with with the Dutch. I think he took some time out from cricket as well. I think his brother is starting to come through the ranks. Actually, maybe in Brisbane great cricket jack i think his name is so there is more uh in the dutch family lineage and of course tom cooper is playing at the tournament so coopers are a a renewable resource for the dutch cricket team hey yeah good to see him there and and helping out his uh former national teammates we will talk about the t20 world cup in more depth next week i'm sure and we'll go through each of the first round teams but just eyeballing the way the dutch have prepared this time around definitely seems to be they don't seem to be undercooked like they were last year Mm. they had a great home summer playing against full member opposition and yeah the results might not have gone their way and it might have been in a different format but we have seen glimpses of quality throughout that group and the perfect example I think of how far they've come in a year is to look at the individual results of someone like Buzz Delader uh, and, and the numbers that go with his last year in international cricket albeit maybe in a different format but I think they're much better prepared than they were last year and again we'll talk about this in great depth next week UAE were in Melbourne they've played some great teams there I think they've gone undefeated they had a couple of close games there but they won convincingly against the likes of Essendon and some other clubs uh, around the Melbourne area. So there is plenty going on. Ireland will lament the fact that their Sydney connections uh, has brought with it quite a lot of rain. La Nina is certainly... It could well be a big factor in this tournament, and I, I that might be something that teams will have to factor in and think about because it could well rain here for prolonged periods of time in Australia. And we know, especially in the tropics up north, in the Super 12 stage, obviously all the all the first-round matches are, are south, either in Geelong or in Hobart. It might be something for teams to factor in. Yeah, unfortunately, weather 
uh, played a, a part in the women's event uh, back in 2020. Uh, we saw the semi-final between Australia and South Africa interrupted in Sydney, and and as well the you know the famous game with Thailand uh, posting 150 odd against Pakistan, but not being able to defend it due to due to rain. So yeah, hopefully that doesn't uh, play too big a part because you know for all these teams, this tournament is it's the culmination point of a number of years of of qualification and and various other pathway events, and you, you know to go through all of that over the the preceding few years, and then have a couple of games rained out and just go nowhere that really would be disappointing so fingers crossed but uh, yeah you, you never know looking forward to the T20 World Cup beginning on the 16th of October the opener is Sri Lanka v Namibia the two teams that played each other in their first matches of their campaigns last year as well might be a good indication of how far Namibia has come but again looking forward to all of that and we'll try to keep our fingers on the pulse and there is a bit of personal responsibility here being in Australia as well covering the tournament we'll try and get out as much as we can on the emerging side of things let's move on to some other cricket around let's move on to some senior international cricket on the women's side that's currently being played out the women's asia cup big associate presence as we talked about last week uae thailand and malaysia joining bangladesh sri lanka pakistan and india of course uh it's been a tournament so far at the time of recording and we're recording here on wednesday evening australian time so we're by no means near the end of this tournament, but looking at it early, UAE are the only associate team to taste victory, and that was, uh, I suppose, to the detriment of Malaysia, who they played against in that particular game. Thailand are, are none from two to begin their campaign. UAE one from two, uh, sorry, one from three, and Malaysia none from three. There's a few storylines to talk about here, but I think as much as I don't want to start with the bad news, Thailand again after what was a pretty disappointing T20 World Cup qualifying campaign haven't quite showed up here either. We know that Kano is out with the with the action that she has to reconfigure, but outside of that, there's not a whole lot of difference in this Thai side and they were done pretty convincingly by Bangladesh in their first match and then looking to their game against uh, Sri Lanka they didn't really come close to their target of 157 either they made Hashitha Samarikrama look really good with the bat and to be fair she could well carry the torch of Sri Lankan batting going forward but for Thailand here again it's it's a case maybe of, of some soul searching because it just doesn't seem like the team is is playing as well as we know they can. Yeah I mean I hope we don't sort of look back in a few years time at that women's qualifier last year as as a kind of a high point for the team where they they did everything right they prepared you know extensively they beat multiple full members including Bangladesh uh you know they were they were top of their group when the tournament was cut short and then everything was just kind of thrown out and here they are back to square one you know trying to put together a, a good tournament against full member opposition again Bangladesh Bangladesh have definitely improved in the last year or so in women's cricket uh, we saw them at the women's world cup they beat Pakistan you know their their setup's getting a bit better and I mean to some extent it's quite plausible that Thailand I don't want to say they've, they've reached their ceiling, but for a, a fair bit of their rise, their sort of success point was the, the difference that it made, that they were training full-time together. They had that kind of professionalism and, you know, reg- regular tr- training. And obviously, that makes a difference, especially at associate member sh- uh, level. But even even coming in against some of the lower-ranked full members a couple of years ago, you know, Pakistan only introduced central contracts and a, and a full domestic system to back it up in the last kind of couple of years. So even for lower ranked female full members, things haven't been that 
you know that well established uh, until very recently. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping that Thailand are able to find replacements for some of the players who've been in this team for a long time now. And yeah, you mentioned Kano, who was coming through as as one of the kind of promising younger bowlers, and and you know now she's been pinged for an illegal action. So we'll we'll have to see uh, whether she can regain her effectiveness after you know after remodeling and and whatnot. But yeah, disappointing uh, outing so far. Still plenty of games to turn it around. You know they get six matches each, uh, so that's good. But yeah, disappointing start for a team that we've expected to do better over the years. And I guess the frustrating thing is that they're doing the same thing that we've seen them do. You know most recently in in that T20 World Cup qualifier where they're batting again. That has been a, a their Achilles heel. But you know. Even on the bowling side, against Sri Lanka, they had them three for not too many, and they just couldn't sort of keep the pressure up. And you know, Sri Lanka got away from them. And um, you know, if you if you get Chamari out of Padua out early, most of the time you you'd think you should be trying to restrict them to well under what they did get, which was 156, and that's as we've seen, well beyond Thailand's uh, batting capacity at the moment. And, you know, Naramol Chawai is still anonymous with the bat. Natakan Chantam still not really firing. So when those two are not providing any runs, it's very difficult to see where the rest of the team makes up the difference. And yeah, it's it's just disappointing because they've been so consistent and so good for so long. And, and now we see them struggling in two tournaments in a row and it's sort of like, well, you know, where, where did that all go? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Whether or not we just have these high expectations of Thailand reaching new heights yeah, it's possible too. and continuing to build on all the success that they had. And the other thing I suppose you need to factor in is just that, you know, the collective talent around the group is pretty good in terms of the region. The likes of Bangladesh have only improved as well. Some of the, you know, the other teams, Sri Lanka, who for a long time were very reliant on one player, especially with the bat, have shown that there's a little bit more about them outside of Chamari Adapadu. So again, it, it proves that this region is a very strong one, both in, in men's and women's cricket. And Thailand are definitely not going to have it their own way if they are to kind of improve and go to the next level. Looking at, at the other associate teams, Malaysia and UAE, as we said, UAE getting the victory over Malaysia by seven wickets in the last over of their chase. Tirthish Satish, the star there with 62 not out. And then looking on the Malaysian side, uh, the skipper Winifred Durasingham not quite getting the help there with the bat, you know, making 33 of 84, although it came at a pretty slow strike rate, which tells you that, you know, UAE's probably had a measure with the ball as well. Kavisha uh, Agadage making runs against India, albeit at a slow strike rate as well. Number of individual performances by UAE, and they had India on the ropes at something like 20 for three at one stage and it took Jamima Rodrigue's innings of quality to I suppose turn the, the match completely in India's fashion but UAE might lament you know the, the opportunities there for maybe having India at five for 30 six for 40 all out for 80 and, and giving that a potential chase but ultimately just the the quality of someone like India pulling through against a, a UAE side still looking for that experience at this level. Yeah, I mean, UAE, they were disappointing in the, the T20 World Cup qualifiers, but they, as we've seen, they, their team is packed with a lot of young talent and there's, you know, there's a number of players coming through there that in a couple of years, I mean, UAE, I think, are on the upswing. Obviously, uh, Tieta Satish is an exciting one. They've, Mahika Gore has bowled really well. You know, the, there's a lot of players in that side who can convert their talent and, I, yeah, we'll, we'll see that hopefully coming to fruition soon. They weren't 
you know, they weren't a million miles away against Sri Lanka in a, a DLS-affected game, uh, 11 runs behind the eventual target. Uh, they, they went hard at it, but they, they couldn't quite get there. But, you know, they're, they're, they're there or thereabouts. And I think it's in, it's interesting to see UAE are kind of on the upswing and they always seem to be discovering uh, n- new names to come th- into the team or, or, you know, someone different is performing a lot of the time and and they can they're not reliant on one or two players whereas Thailand it is the same names the whole time and and you know you, you think where are the replacements coming from and at the under 19s level we we saw um we saw UAE beat Thailand in the women's side of things in the regional qualification for the women's uh, under 19s world cup so again you don't want to you don't want to be making judgments based on one tournament about thing you know saying things like passing the torch or whatever but the uae are, are definitely on the upswing and, and thailand do seem to have stagnated a little bit or at least others have have overtaken them in in terms of where they're trying to go next uh targeting lower ranked full members um i think you know looking at malaysia they're kind of doing about as well as you would expect they they have a couple of decent players like Durasingham, but yeah they just have perennially you know they 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 get good participation numbers uh, at school level, but they they just don't quite seem to be able to convert it to having a strong enough team uh, when it comes to to making that next step up out of the uh, regional level. And I mean, just to, as a bit of a side note, we we've seen a bit of drama on the men's team, but. It speaks to a setup that's not necessarily the most harmonious at the moment uh, with, you know, players accusing coaches of, you know, favoritism and overlooking and just some, some drama around that. And <laughs> the the Malaysian uh, Cricket Association basically investigating themselves and, and finding nothing wrong. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, some kind of off-field drama. That's more on the men's side, but you know these teams that, that there is a, a lot of interaction between them and and you know you, you would think if things are going poorly administratively that's that's going to affect both sides of the game and i mean I, I do wonder how much the loss of kinrara has affected this as well because that's obviously a big displacement um kinrara being not just a high quality cricket facility but also they were using it for training and and i, I believe they had some dormitories attached to it somewhere um so yeah that that would that will be leaving a big hole in their cricket setup and hopefully they can find a replacement for the facility but also you know find a way to to keep building on their talent that they do have both on the men's and women's sides because yeah i, I can't see them winning any games uh, at, at this tournament and you know that's that's kind of well as far as i can remember following malaysian cricket um, their, their women's team just seems to perennially underperform. You make a good point about the murmurs of discontent in the Malaysia camp, and we need to remember that a lot of these boards, especially at the associate level, because the, the groups are so small and the communities are so small with, with people, things get around very fast and a lot of people, because they're fulfilling different roles in these organisations, find themselves not conflicted, but they find themselves in a situation where they're somewhat affected by all of it. It's not like, okay, to take a, a full member example, if there was some instances of wrongdoing in, say, in the Australian men's team, the women's team are almost decoupled and that far away from the fraternity of men's cricket in Australia with the dichotomy of it all that they wouldn't necessarily be affected. But as you say, you know, the loss of Kinrara Oval is, is a huge factor as well. And these things are momentous in that they affect everyone in Malaysia cricket. And I'm sure that, you know, the, the rumours or discontent happening in the Malaysia camp, whether it be on the men's or women's side, is, is felt by both sides. So it'd be interesting to see where that kind of goes from there. To stay with Asia, uh, 
under 19 men's Asia Division 2 for the 2024 under 19s World Cup has started. So it's a slightly different qualification pathway for the 16 team men's under 19s World Cup. It means that a number of teams you have to go through a first qualifier before they end up going to the, the main regional final next year Kuwait, Malaysia and Nepal and UAE are already in that competition for next year but to bring it back to Division 2 we've got an 8 team tournament, 2 groups of 4, we will find uh, 2 more teams here so it'll be the semi-final winners to progress to the next stage Uh, and they just so happen to happen after we record today which is a little bit unfortunate but to look at the groups it's I suppose the the usual teams have have stuck out here in terms of where you would think teams would be from an infrastructural standpoint. Oman and Bahrain, the two semifinalists from Group A, and Singapore and Hong Kong, the two semifinalists from Group B, and Qatar and Thailand in Group B missing out, and Saudi Arabia, Bhutan missing out in Group A. Again, it kind of leads into, I suppose, the the teams who have been historically a little bit stronger at this level in times gone by, and again, the the structures in place are, are probably a little bit more set stone but it means it's a pretty open race here between the final four teams to to get to these final two spots for the main qualifier so we'll have oman taking on hong kong singapore taking on bahrain you'd probably fancy the table toppers in each group to go through but we know in tournament play it doesn't necessarily happen like that nick and uh yeah it looks to be a a fairly strong tournament in in an area that we've talked about a lot as as one that's certainly growing and and strengthening yeah it's interesting to see bahrain uh doing well they're one team that has uh has been improving steadily at the senior level and you know one of the criticisms i guess of, of a lot of these golf teams is oh it's all immigrants they're all just uh, you know migrant workers playing the game whatever but th- these are under 19s teams so these are guys who've come through the the local development system and even at the under 19s level oman and bahrain are both finding a lot of good talent Oman, yeah, pretty dominant in their group. Bahrain as well, winning comfortably over Saudi Arabia. And Bhutan, I guess, quite a small country with with a limited playing pool. So it's not that surprising that they've struggled. Uh, Saudi Arabia is kind of an interesting one because at the senior level, their men's team um, has been has been steadily improving and to see the, the under-19s team you know struggling somewhat would indicate they they maybe don't quite have the infrastructure at the age group level to back that up so that's that's one to watch yeah on the other side Singapore a traditional powerhouse at this level you know they've always been pretty successful at under-19s um, because again they have they do have a good talent development pathway and you know identification uh, Hong Kong, similar, you know, a lot of these kids have played at, um, you know, at senior club level in Hong Kong. And, you know, again, Singapore, Hong Kong, both kind of city states uh, in, in a relatively limited geographic area. So it's kind of easier to find talent, whereas somewhere like Thailand, it's uh, spread out a bit more across the country. Obviously, there's there's Bangkok, but then there's also some centers up in the north where they try and um, attract talent. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, not not surprising that kind of the usual suspects are there in the semi-finals. It'll be interesting. I, I think Oman and Singapore probably will be too strong, but Hong Kong, um, as I said, have a number of guys who've, who've come through the the Hong Kong um, club system, and you know I wouldn't underestimate them. So that probably half a chance. Bahrain, I would guess, are not quite there yet, but as you say, you never know. It's and, and it's interesting that it's being played in the 50 over format. Um, obviously the the under 19s World Cup is played in the 50 over format, but you know a lot of these qualification pathway events over the years have been kind of converted into T20s, even when the ultimate tournament you're qualifying for is in 50 overs so good that they're good that they're still sticking with that at least and and you know giving these kids the opportunity to play 
high-level international 50-over cricket. Um, I, I as, as a bit of a kind of digression, um, while I was with you know, helping the Vanuatu team with a few things uh, in Challenge League, one of the, uh, I guess, homework tasks that I got given by, by Ben Cameron, the head coach, was to do a bit of research into um, how many international matches both their team and the opponent's teams have played. And for Vanuatu, there were a few guys like Andrew Mansale who'd sort of come through the previous qualification and age group structures um, but you know most of the younger guys just haven't had anywhere near the number of just high level international 50 over matches compared to say a Singapore where you know half their team having come through the underage system in in the Asia group have played a lot of 50 over cricket both at age group and kind of other development levels so that's kind of a, a long a long-winded way of saying that these age group structures both the ICC and Asian Cricket Council ones are really, really important in terms of developing not just um, having the opportunity pathways, but giving these players the experience in 50 over cricket, which is still quite important to the ICC qualification pathways, so that when they do come up, uh, you know, to the Challenge League or you know, League Two or, or whatever it is, they have that experience under their belt. They know how to play 50 over cricket, and um, you know, looking across to the women's side of things, basically everything being T20 until you get to get to the World Cup qualify that that just doesn't help so yeah it's it's good that they're still playing these in 50 over cricket and um you know hopefully the the budget cutters at the, at the icc don't don't see that and try and trim stuff down because i think it's still really valuable as mentioned before the yeah the two qualifiers from that tournament will move to the regional final which also includes kuwait malaysia nepal and uae that tournament uh has been confirmed for the united arab emirates but the dates are not yet confirmed Moving to Africa and an equivalent competition of sorts, Division 2 in Africa, held in Nigeria, was also set to be an 18 tournament, although <laughs> a couple of teams found themselves uh, unable to take part due to a couple of logistic issues, Ghana and Mozambique, the two teams who never actually arrived into the country and we won't see. Kenya and Malawi were the two other teams in the same group as those two teams, Kenya winning the match between them and Malawi, given three wins with the two forfeits. Malawi given two victories as well with the two forfeits. It means that they move to the next stage of the tournament. Kenya will play Sierra Leone and Malawi will face the table toppers in Group B, which are the hosts in Nigeria. They're the teams that they will meet in the Division 1 tournament next year uh, the teams who have already qualified for the next stage, uh, Namibia, Tanzania, and Uganda. Zimbabwe automatically qualify for the Under-19 World Cup by virtue of being a full member as well, it must be added. But yeah, looking at this particular tournament and Group A, you, you can't really take a whole lot out of that given that, you know, in the end there was only just one game played and it was a huge victory for Kenya making 346 for 8 off 45 overs. It was a, a rain curtailed match. They ended up bowling Malawi out inside 15 overs for just 31. So it's pretty clear to see who the stronger of the two teams in that group will be. Nigeria will probably fancy themselves given that uh, situation on the other side they were too good for all three teams in their group as mentioned Sierra Leone Rwanda and Botswana just looking at some of the results they were pretty emphatic in in their victories there Sierra Leone came probably closest to beating them 
again, looking at, at the equivalent level from Asia and then looking at, at this tournament here, there are a couple of standout teams and they are the two teams to top the group. You'd probably fancy them to go through and as people listen to this, they will have the, the results at their fingertips. But the other important thing to note is there is a third entrant to the next round, which means the winner of the third place playoff will go through as well. And you would probably fancy Sierra Leone taking that spot and reaching the regional final as well. Again, in similar vein to what we said about Asia, there are a couple of teams here because they've got that infrastructure at the senior levels in either men's, women's or both men's and women's cricket. It has filtered a little bit further down to under-19s cricket and you can just see that some teams are a little bit further ahead than others in their development. Yeah, I think it's um it's pretty encouraging that Nigeria was able to host a you know, well, I mean, an eight-team tournament in theory, you know, they had the facilities to do that if necessary, uh, you know, and, and they've they've been working a lot on expanding their facilities and, and having bigger and better grounds around the country, and, and they're involved in a sort of curation training program through the ICC, which was helpful for them, and so they, they're definitely making strides in terms of facilities, uh, which is which is always good. Yeah, I mean, over the last sort of couple of cycles, Nigeria's under-19s team has been one of the better ones. They qualified, obviously, to the 2020 uh, under-19s World Cup. Uganda pipped them to this one this year, but uh, their youth program has been strong. I was probably, I don't know, yeah, as you say, I don't know how much we can read into Group A with Ghana and Mozambique, unfortunately, having problems getting there. Ghana as well are one who over the last little while have been pretty good and getting better. So that could have been more of a challenge for Kenya. You know, they <laughs> they absolutely flattened Malawi in that game. You know, as you say, they put up 346. Dash Penchani uh, scored 210 off 132 deliveries. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty handy knock from him. But yeah, on the other side of the draw, you know, Sierra Leone and... Nigeria. That was the the blockbuster match. Uh, Sierra Leone skipper John Bangura with 89 not out couldn't quite get the team home. But uh, yeah, I mean Sierra Leone are another one who who've been improving. I was a bit disappointed. I must be said. It must be said by Rwanda, who again over the last little while, you know, their their under 19s team and their senior teams have been steadily improving, and they just really struggled here. So yeah, I mean it's, it's a few bad matches, so. You, you can't necessarily read too much into it, but you know they're one of the teams that's been making a lot of progress, um, uh, both as well with facilities, obviously with the, the Kahanga Stadium, but also um, various outreach and development programs using cricket to, to reach people and, and um, more perhaps on the women's side, but as well on the men, you know, they, they do have a strong development program. So yeah, disappointing that they couldn't do a bit better. But yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, very interesting to watch these semifinals. And as you say, you know, Nigeria looking like they'll probably be a lot better than Malawi, but Kenya having only played one match against weak opposition, you know, that that's a pretty good opportunity for Sierra Leone to pick them off. And Kenya are definitely not as strong as they used to be. So yeah, one, one to watch there. And just have to say, the fact that the third place playoff actually has something riding on it, I, th- I think <laughs> I think that's a very good state of affairs because a lot of the time they play these tournaments where the semifinals, you know, if you've got two teams qualifying, the semifinals are all important and then, you know, the third place playoff doesn't really mean anything and it's kind of a waste of time. So they probably can't arrange that for every region, but, you know, as far as it's possible, having a third slot available and, and you know, giving the losing semifinalists something to play for, I think uh, it improves the tournament a fair bit. Moving on, we are going around the regions this week. So very worldwide feel to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, as it should be. We've got South American cricket returning, and most of it 
will be regarded as T20 international cricket. We've got a men's South American championship, but before that, uh, a women's South American championship as well. The women's tournament is a four-team event with the uh, addition of Canada joining Argentina, Brazil, and Peru. They're all T20 international matches by virtue of all those teams being uh, members of the ICC. On the men's side, it's a bigger competition. Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Peru, and Uruguay. Important caveat, though, being that Colombia and Uruguay don't have T20 international status as they're not associate members of the ICC. Uh, and therefore, the matches, including them, won't go towards T20 international stats. It's a very arbitrary thing, but it's important to take note. Uh, all of this is being hosted in Brazil and Itaguai. Looking forward to it. Should be a great part of, of Brazilian cricket's calendar and South American cricket's schedule. A uh, number of teams obviously going to be converging in Brazil, which has seen very much an uptick in cricket particularly on the women's side. And we've spoken to Matt Featherston and, and Brazil Cricket in the past about all of that. But again, Nick, it, again, Nick, this tournament gives the opportunity for these men and women to showcase their skills at T20 international level, most of them anyway, and a good opportunity for, for everyone to, to see some new names on scorecards and to see these nations be represented by, you know, I'm sure a, a proud players of all of these teams. Yeah, I think um, the... I mean, this this tournament, the South American Championships, is one that's been running for a number of years. Uh, I think it'll be 17th edition, uh, at least on the men's side. The women's has not been going quite as long. And, you know, the fact they're being hosted side by side is great. Um, they're also running some, some junior uh, cricket as well at the same time. So uh, a real festival of cricket in the region. I'm very impressed that they're, you know, they're bringing in Colombia and Uruguay and they're not, you know, fussed about the fact that they're not counting to their stats. And, you know, I think I think that's something that a, a lot of other members could maybe learn from is that playing these teams who aren't ICC members, you're still playing against opposition at a similar level. And, you know, playing these matches will help those teams get to a standard where they can apply for ICC members. So good on them for, you know, not being uh, status snobs. That's always nice to see. A bit disappointing we didn't see Mexico on the women's side. Their women's program is, is one of the success stories as well at, um, uh, in, in the Americas region at associate level. Uh, you know, a friend of the pod, Craig White, uh, works works quite a lot uh, with the women's team there. Um, as well as uh, as well as being secretary of the uh, the Mexican cricket uh, administration. Um, but yeah, I think looking to the men's side of things, Argentina probably the favourites. Um, Brazil, yeah, haven't really been able to replicate the success of their women's team uh, on the men's side of things yet. So Argentina who they're not as strong as they used to be, but they're definitely still regional powerhouses. Uh, I think as well, it, it's interesting to see Canada playing um, uh, in the women's one. Uh, this is a Canadian side, which of course lost to Brazil twice in the uh, women's regional final uh, for the T20 World Cup. So yeah, Brazil are probably the favourites really on the women's side of things. Um, Argentina, they do struggle on, on the women's side and, and Peru again. Shout out to uh, another friend of the pod, uh, Sam Hickman, who uh, you see if you can Google our interview with her and, and talking about her, time, her, her work uh, in Peru, uh, helping to develop the game um, among underprivileged kids. And uh, yeah, great story. 
for them. But uh, yeah, uh, in terms of on the field, it'll be interesting to see how they go because they, they haven't really played much of late, uh, the women's team at least. So yeah, good luck to them. But um, yeah, I, f- I feel like Brazil are probably going to be too strong unless Canada can uh, show a lot of improvement compared to last time, which frankly, considering their you know, domestic uh, women's setup, I, I don't think is... Uh, is that likely? But, you know, I live in hope. Once again, those dates for you. The Women's South America Championship from the 13th to the 16th of October. The men's from the 20th to the 23rd. Again, in Itaguay in Brazil. Moving to the East Asia Pacific region. And again, reaffirming that we'll talk to Tim next week all about the Pacific Cup going on at the moment. A four-team women's competition at the VCG on both the grounds that they have there at the facility uh, looks to be extremely well run. I did speak briefly to Tim this morning on WhatsApp and he asked for the DLS uh, calculator. So he was uh, covering all bases just in case the weather sort of turned on them. But moving back to the men's side of things and after sub-regional qualifier A for the Men's T20 World Cup of 2024, and that rolls off the tongue so well only because I had to say it about 120 times over the course of <laughs> a week's action, uh, we moved to sub-regional B, a uh, three-team tournament between Japan, South Korea, and Indonesia. The winner of the event goes to the regional qualifier uh, next year. It's also a double-round robin, as was Qualifier A, albeit with one fewer team. Japan actually play a bilateral series with Indonesia in the lead-up to the tournament. Having a quick listen to our friends Alan Kerr and Dougal Bettingfield talk about all of this on the Japan Cricket Podcast, there's quite a lot to go through in terms of the squads, particularly for the host Japan. A very much a new-look side with such a, a lengthy period in between competitive international play for the senior team. We know that their under-19s team played at a Uh, under-19 World Cup in 2020, but it's been roughly four years since the senior team got a look in and uh, they've named Kendall Kadawaki Fleming as their captain, uh, new captain of the side, left-handed batter based in Australia primarily. He's made a ton of runs in Brisbane grade cricket. A lot of young faces and quite a few coming through from the under-19 system. The one point that I'd like to make before I do throw it to you, Nick, is Japan have depth and I say they must have depth because they've left out Marcus Thurgate from the squad entirely the keeper batter who played at the under 19 World Cup and looked a, a class player Alan and, and Dougal made the point that they have a plethora of options in the wiki-keeping department uh, Shogo Kamura is in the squad um a lot of casual fans will remember him as the ex-professional baseballer who's turned to cricket as well but uh, listening to the, the, the joy in the voices of Alan and Dougal, I think they're very excited to be hosting international cricket on their shores, Nick. And not only the uh, bilateral series, but sub-regional qualifier B, I think it will be a, a competitive tournament and one that we'll be looking forward to and watching on ICC TV for sure. Yeah, the um the the facilities at Xano, you know, talking again about um you know grounds and and work that teams are doing building facilities. The Sano ground is one that Japan cricket has been putting a lot of effort into, and and they've got um, some interesting partnerships with the the local council and and various kind of um you know regional ad- <laughs> administrative bodies. So it's a very nice setup with you know as as we say good facilities, um, turf wickets, all the rest of it. So that's good. Yeah, looking at this squad, it's it's interesting to see who they've left out. You know, the, there were a number of guys who performed quite well over the years for, um, especially younger guys. 
uh, who, who've sort of come through the, the Japanese system and, and they're not making an appearance here. You now I'm thinking of uh, Tomoki Ota, um, Matsumure, you know, guys like that who, who've, who've been sort of consistent performers and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it'll be, uh, yeah, very interesting to see the, the new look side with, with a lot of uh, fresh names. But I guess you can say the same thing for Indonesia, you know, comparing this team to the one that I watched uh, a few years back in the Philippines at Das Marinius uh, in, in 2018. Yeah, uh, there's hardly any names that are that are crossing over. So both sides uh, going with youth and, and opting for some fresh faces. And uh, yeah, that, that bilateral series will be very interesting as a as sort of a precursor of, of the actual qualification tournament. And you wonder, you know, how many of, of these guys... Um, and you wonder how much that um, that bilateral series is going to be a sort of you know these teams sort of you know feeling each other out and and trying to figure out um, who they're going to be up against in a double round robin where they play each other twice. Uh, so that'll be you know they're going to have five matches against each other in in short order uh, if you include the bilaterals. South Korea is an interesting one. A bit less team shuffling between their previous sub-regionals appearance and, and this one. But at the same time, yeah, South Korea did struggle a bit in, in, in the last sub-regional, although they beat Japan uh, in, in the last match uh, after sort of qualification had been, been determined already. Mohamed Nadeem, who was um, one, of their, one of their biggest hitters in, in that tournament, is not appearing for them in this one. So, yeah, missing a bit of firepower in the batting lineup for South Korea. Um, but, yeah, looking, looking to the, the, um, the qualification... It is very hard to judge because, as we said, the teams have changed so much. Um, and even in that qualifier where the Philippines eventually came through, you know, everyone managed to get a couple of wins. Even Indonesia beat Japan by four wickets uh, to derail their qualification push. So, yeah, you know, you, you, you can kind of go on previous form and say that, it, you know, anyone could, could make it through. And I'd be very interested to see how the Philippines actually go against whoever qualifies out of this group when when we do eventually get to the regional finals because the philippines by virtue of that one um <laughs> sub-regionals victory and and a bit of luck with the rain at the regional finals uh three years ago have been outside this the sub-regional uh qualification cycle for a while and and i don't think they were that much ahead of the others in the first place so yeah whoever whoever wins here i think will be an interesting barometer of where the philippines are when we get to that but very hard to predict i, I guess if we're if we're going to go with predictions i'd say japan with the home field advantage and, and the new look squad but yeah you just don't know i i tend to agree but again it's one of those things where t20 cricket and you can throw out as many cliches as you want you know there is a chance for someone to to knock off a team like japan and listening again to what alan and dougal were, were talking about it had to essentially throw out the form guide with indonesia because they've picked a largely new team from the one they last saw four years ago so uh, from what they can gather, it'll be sort of a young athletic team that they don't know too much about. South Korea, a little bit older, a team that's a little bit more well-set and a little bit more well-known. But it just throws up you know, a few different dynamics as to how the tournament could well go. And as mentioned before, it will be on ICC TV. And just running through those dates again to let you know when they're on. From the 9th to the 11th of October is the bilateral series between Indonesia and Japan and the tournament begins on the 15th of October, goes through to the 18th. Indonesia and South Korea play out the opener in the morning uh, before Japan 
uh, play South Korea, South Korea's second game uh, in the afternoon. Looking forward to that. We will be watching, and as mentioned, it's on ICC TV as well. And just quickly, Nick, to finish off this week's show, uh, they've broke ground on the Grand Prairie mm. Stadium in the US. It's one that we uh, almost didn't believe would happen, and I think we've kind of come to the same conservative conclusions as to how we think it'll go, but at least I've started. Uh, it's a long way to go. I think the capacity is something between seven to seven and a half thousand people that they want at the ground. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, believe it when a ball's bowled on it, I suppose. Yeah, yes, that's the that's the PDP rule, and um, especially yeah, when it comes to American cricket, um, yeah, you you believe it when the first ball is uh, is actually sent down by a bowler, uh, and before then anything can go wrong, but. As you say, at least they've started. A lot of uh, big plans around American cricket ha- haven't even got off the ground or, or got into the ground or whatever you want to call it. Um, so they're ahead of they're ahead of a lot of other people who've uh, claimed to to be doing big things with American cricket. So hopefully uh, this continues and the stadium actually gets built. But uh, yeah, some some good news finally after a lot of. Uh, administrative shenanigans going on last week. Oh, we haven't even scratched the surface in all of that. Uh, and I'm sure Nate will keep us uh, in the loop in regards to all of it as well. He wrote a piece on it uh, on the site a few days uh, ago as well. So make sure to read that and take what you will out of that. But uh, thank you for joining me again, Nick, for another Emerge Cricket Podcast. Uh, for news and updates in the emerging cricket world, make sure to log on to emergingcricket.com. And of course, the pod is around every week. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Pleasure as always, Bez. And to everyone out there, enjoy the rest of your week in the Emerge Cricket world, and we'll speak to you soon.